Praise the Lord. Good morning. Hallelujah. If you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Very common scripture here for a new year. We're on the verge of uh, 2024. And uh, coming into a new year, this is a very common scripture to be preaching from, but I want you to really think about it this morning. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, how many are in Christ this morning? He is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Hallelujah. Let me appreciate that verse. Old things have passed away, and behold, he's saying, look, everything has become new. Everything. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray this morning that um, there would be a newness in the house, Lord. Father, a renewing, a transforming, Lord. Um, Lord, we love new things, Lord. And we just pray that you would uh, bring it into the house, Lord. Let the old things pass away, Lord. Let them just die. And uh, behold, let the new things come in, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, that's a uh, very nice thing that we have the new year right after uh, Christmas, right? Because you walk around your house, you've got all these new things laying around, especially if you have kids. Right? How many have ever noticed there's lots of uh, new things around? In fact, I always appreciate that relative um, raising six children. I always appreciate that relative that would buy the little thing that you pushed and it would pop. Yeah, what are they called? Yeah, those little popper things. And so I know for the next uh, month I'm going to listen to that thing popping constantly. So how many know what it's like to have new things in the house? Hallelujah. Well, this morning, I think God wants us um, to think new. You know, going into a new year, and sometimes as Christians, um, we think new when we get saved, but we stop thinking new once we get saved. Hallelujah. We say, oh man, it's so awesome when I got saved. All things were new, and that old man passed away, and then... Behold, every day we live with all the old stuff. Hallelujah. We don't uh, accept his forgiveness. We don't accept his uh, newness of life. We just, uh, we say, yeah, everything before I was saved was old and it passed away. But that new stuff um, doesn't apply now. I'm going to keep everything from last year. Hallelujah. And uh, we got to start thinking like creatures that are new and new creations. Um, It also says in John chapter 3, Jesus said, Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. Now how would you like to go out of your way to go see Jesus at night, be a high-ranking member of the uh, Jewish council, And you said a pretty honest thing there. We know you came from God and we know you're a teacher from God. Well, Jesus read his mail. And Jesus just says, truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. 
And then Nicodemus was really confused. He's like, well, how can I go back in my mother's womb and be born again? And so he had a lot to think about after that night, about being born again. I'll give you another scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, or Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Conform means to be shaped into a mold. How many have ever seen a mold shaped? You know, maybe some of you have frozen your own fruit pops in the freezer, right? And you make that little mold and it pops out a perfect little popsicle. Okay, I'm telling the story here. You said there's better ones I could have said. But the Bible says quit being forced into the mold that's the pattern of the world. But he says, be you transformed with the renewing of your mind. That is a word that means metamorphosis, meaning that we're always changing. We're always becoming new. In fact, sometimes um, I come out of a men's Bible study on Saturday morning and I feel renewed in my mind. I feel like my old pattern of thinking just went away. You know, when I preach a sermon on Sunday mornings, they're preached to me first. I feel renewed after studying and preaching that message because I know something new is being created in me. And, you know, there's lots of animals in nature that have to be renewed every year. You know, their feathers will drop off and they'll be renewed. Their coat will be renewed. They, they just become a renewed animal. And sometimes, you know, on a regular basis, sometimes on a daily basis, I feel renewed. And I think to myself, how many could see that beautiful butterfly? And he's saying, man, I don't look like that ugly worm anymore. That one that crawled on the earth and slithered on the ground and look at me now. And I think God wants us to be like that. I think God wants us to go to the next day and say, man, I didn't, I don't look like yesterday. You know, God is changing me. God's doing things in me. And so church, I want to really focus as we go into this message. This is a very simple message. In fact, the simplest of the simple, but those are the best. You know, uh, Paul, Peter, toward the end of his life, he was about to be martyred, and history says his wife was martyred right before him. And right before he dies, he says, um, he said, I want to remind you of the things that you already know. <laughs> Think about it. Sometimes as ministers, I know early in my Ministry, I always wanted to come up with that mysterious nugget of truth. How many know what I'm talking about? That nobody's ever heard before. They say, wow, he's, we're astonished at your teachings. <laughs> but I love that Paul is always saying, let me remind you of the elementary principles. Peter is saying, let me tell you the things you already know. Jesus is telling the simplest of stories to make them understand because we as human beings forget. And sometimes we get into this pattern and this mindset that is very much like the world. Hallelujah. So the title of this message is Stepping Into the New Life. And it would be very easy because this is a message to tell you about the first things. The first things that are important. The first things to stepping into that new creation life. This is the kind of message I would give to a new convert, to a new believer, or somebody who's contemplating living for Christ. But we need to always go back and, and at least every year, if not every month, if not every week, if not every day, 
We've got to be saying, man, I want to be a new creation this year. I don't want to be the same tomorrow as I am today. And so we're always taking these steps into the new life as a new creature and a transformed person in Christ. Hallelujah. That's why we're all here, right? Hallelujah. Like, wait a minute, that's not why I'm here. I hope that's why we're all here. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, step one, and this is just seven steps. Seven simple steps that we take into the new life. Steps into the new life. I mean, no, there's a point you have to be born again. And there's a point you have to take the first step. And so every time they preach the gospel, you would see the people say, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do? What are the steps that I need to be saved? And we need these simple steps because we're the ones who are going to be preaching that gospel, right? We're the ones who are going to be ministering to people that gospel. And so we all want to know what are the steps and we want to make sure we're taking those steps. So the first step... Jesus stepped onto his ministry, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and the first words that came out of his mouth were, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. So step number one, if you're taking notes, is this twofold one step. At the same time, I'm repenting of something, which means to turn completely around, and I'm believing in something. So step number one is, I need to repent and believe. And you say, well, man, I did that once and for all time, which is correct. I became born again. But how many know we are always repenting and believing? And so if you've never been in Christ, the Bible says that In Christ, we are a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, all things became new. This is how you become born again. This is how you become a new creature in Christ. And by the way, if we're going to make it to heaven, um, you say, well, don't all dogs go to heaven? I don't know about the dogs, but the only ones that go to heaven are the ones who are saved. The ones who have been redeemed. The ones who have received Jesus Christ. And his offer of salvation. If we don't receive that. And we aren't born again. In the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 3. He says unless you're born again. You cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And so how many want to see the kingdom of heaven this morning? You say well it will turn out well if I don't go there. There's not a good alternative if we don't find the kingdom of heaven. There's one chance. There's one offer. There's only one name by which men can be saved. And that's through Jesus Christ. And his offer of salvation. So this again, this is very simple. But what is repentance? And uh, I'll tell you a really good place that I like to go for understanding what happens to a person's mind. Do you remember King David in the Old Testament? And uh, he was called the man who had um, a heart after God. Like he had a perfect heart when it came to being toward God. And there's this place where I think he did a really good analysis of what it means to repent and believe. And that is Psalm chapter 32. And I want to read some places in chapter 2, or 32. Let me turn there. Let me read the whole chapter to you. It says this. 
Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. Transgression is another word for your sins. So happy is the person whose sins are forgiven. So what does that immediately tell you? Some people's sins aren't forgiven. Some people have sins and they're not forgiven. And how many people in the world are sinners? The Bible says all have sinned and came short of the glory of God. So all have sinned and all have warranted death and all have warranted hell. But he says, blessed is the person whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And I love this one. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Some of your versions say it's not imputed against him. That means not held against him. How many here would like your sins held against you? You say, well, I'm better than most people. I'm a pretty good person. Can I tell you the level of accounting that God does in heaven, in the books? It says the books were opened and they were judged by the books. And at the great white throne judgment, everybody was there that was not forgiven. That, that sins were held against them. And it doesn't matter how good at what you were and it doesn't matter how bad you were. All are sinners and one sin makes you worthy of hell. Because God can't just say, well, we'll draw the line here. There's no way you can draw a line like that. So all have sinned and came short of the glory of God and we're all worthy of hell. But he says, blessed is the man whose sins aren't held against him. So if I went to heaven, my sins were held against me. Every single thing that I've done in life against God, there'd be a record of that. And David's saying, blessed is the man that that's not the case. Well, there's another judgment in Revelation. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And that means nobody that goes to the judgment seat of Christ will have their sins held against them. They'll only show the blood of Christ that covers us. And so it won't be held against us. Our sins won't be held against us if we accept the death of Christ and we receive him. So very simple. And so David is really laying out a great mentality here. He's saying, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning, um, through my groaning all day long, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped like the heat of summer. How many have been in the middle of summer on a really hot day, and you worked all day, and you're exhausted? And a drink of water is like the greatest thing that's ever been created on the face of the earth. How many have ever been? In that place where water tastes like the greatest thing in the world. And you're sapped and you're just worn out and you're exhausted. And David's saying, this is how my sins became to me. I groaned all day long because I recognized how bad my sins were. And sometimes we feel this groaning when we look at the world around us. Don't we? We, we turn on the TV and we see the happenings in the world and we see how... And we just say to ourselves, I'm probably the only one that said this, man, I never thought the world would get this bad. How many have ever said that? I never thought it would get like this. I never thought America would look like this. I never thought my neighborhood would look like this. I never thought it would be like this. And something inside of us just groans. And we know that we're away from God. And we know that God is not pleased with what's happening in the world. And we know that people are shaking their fist at God and insulting God and And God has to be um, waiting um, to to take action. How many recognize that? 
that and and God says that his wrath is building up and there's going to come a day um that's called the day of the Lord where he'll pour out his wrath and so some of us recognize that but some of us say I'm not a part of that group <laughs> like I'm so clean and I'm so good that they're bad but I'm good <laughs> And David wasn't that man. David was saying, I'm groaning inside of me because my sins are weighing heavy and I know they weigh heavy on God. And he's groaning day and night and he knew he had to do something about it. And so that's where God wants us to be. We're all sinners. Uh, None of us are righteous. No, not one. And David realized that his sins were a part of that. And so he won. He said... What did he do? And in response, he said, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I do not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So here's the next step of repentant belief. I acknowledge my sin. I did not hide it from you. I showed you what my sin was, and what did God respond with? He forgave him for his sin. Not only that, God went a step further. He promised to die for his sins all the way back in the book of Genesis. He said, this is how we're going to take care of man's sin. And he's just asking us to acknowledge our sin. Acknowledge that we've fallen short of the glory. Take ourselves away from that group that has sinned and deserved judgment and say, God... I don't want my sins to be counted against me. Forgive me of all my iniquity. Cleanse me of my guilt, of my sin. And so David understood this, and we need to understand it. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while, they may, while you may be found. Surely the mighty waters rise, and they will not reach him. You are a hiding place. You will protect me from trouble, and you will surround me with songs of deliverance. So David uses an example of Noah's flood here. He says, because I cried out to you, because I acknowledged my sins, because I repented, and because I believed, now you're going, the the waters of judgment will not reach me. Now you've surrounded me with songs of deliverance. And David is celebrating because God has forgiven him. God's done an internal work through repentance and believing in Jesus Christ as the Lord of his life. And so church, that's what this first step is. You have to internally believe in Jesus Christ and he's the one promised from the beginning to save us from our sins and we've got to submit to him, acknowledge our sins, repent and believe in Jesus Christ as the only one that can forgive us of our sins and give us the righteousness of God and it's through faith alone. Only faith can save us. And so internally, God begins to do a work. Through faith, he gives you his righteousness. It's not by the things you've done. It's because he died, he gives his faith, and then he begins to pour his hope into us. Hope means that I'm not going to be living in this world much longer. Hope means that when I die, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. God's uh, already told my spirit, I'm not going to be in this world very much longer. Very soon, I'm going to die. And the Bible says, from absent from the body is present with the Lord. And said, we'll be forever with him at that point. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more funerals. No more anxiety, cares. We won't even be able to sin anymore at that point. 
How many of you are excited about that? So faith begins to spring up internally. Hope begins to spring up eternally. The love of God begins to have a flow inside of you. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit. God's love begins to be appropriated in your life. You begin to receive the love of Christ, the love of the Father. The Holy Spirit begins to, begins to be your partner and your helper. And now something internally has happened to you. Now let me tell you something here. There's a second step. That's step number one. How many understand that step? I repent. And now here's the thing about this step. This step can happen in a lot of different ways. If I went around this room, I can almost guarantee you that there wasn't the same way that it happened. For me, God had been convicting me for several months. I had been really heavy like David in my heart that I needed to get right with God. Didn't really know how to do it. Didn't really have anybody around to do it. So I laid in my bed at night and I knew enough that I could lead, be, be basically be led to the Lord. How many, how many were that way? You, had, you knew enough about the gospel to know how to get right with God. And so I had known enough as a kid to know what it took to be saved and to repent and believe. So in my bed, you know what my sinner prayer sounded like? And I've told you before, I know. But my sinner's prayer was, God, I'm going to hold your hand and I'm never going to let go for the rest of my life. No matter how much I fail, no matter who leaves me, no matter what I have to go through, I will never let go of you. And that was my prayer. And I said, amen. And then I immediately went to go look for a church. But I had fully given my life to Christ and that made me a new creature. Uh, In the Bible, we see lots of different ways. In fact, in this room, I could actually take the next two hours and probably be pretty, pretty enjoyable. And everybody could tell me all the different ways that they said that prayer and how different that prayer was with each person. But basically, it's the same. I confess my sins. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I'm going to trust you for the rest of my life. And it's like a marriage vow. How many of you know you didn't commit yourself to that person um, only publicly and ceremonially? You did it long before that ever happened. How many know that? You'd already counted the cost. You may have been engaged for a period, but you'd already made that commitment. And so now we've done an inward work. And I could have been in my bed, inwardly let God do the work, and just put an end to it. Right there, that would be the final part of that. But how many know there's a second step? And the second step is not like the first step. The first step is inward. Faith, hope, and love become come into your heart, a commitment to Christ that you plan on keeping. And you say, well, I don't know if I can be good enough. It's not about being good enough. It's about just giving God your best every day. You say, well, but I'm a sinner. But he knew that. That's the plan. That's why grace and mercy is there to purge you. And that takes time, church. But that commitment we can all make. Lord, I'm going to give you my best every day. I'm never going to let go. And church, if you've done that, if you've repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, even the thief on the cross looked and, and he said, you'll, if you believe, you'll be in paradise with me when we die. How many know that? That's amazing. So repent and believe, that's, it's that simple. But the next step, 
It's what the Bible and, and theologians call the believer's baptism. It means that at the point a person becomes a believer, that could have happened like Philip. You know, um, Philip uh, was preaching the gospel. And as he was preaching the gospel, they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, believe and be baptized. Jesus left the Great Commission. And what did he say? He said, make disciples. And when they believe, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How many of you know it's the same pattern? Jesus said, believe and be baptized. Jesus himself was baptized. Uh, there was an uh, Ethiopian, an African man who was sitting and studying the Bible one day. And um, one of the uh, deacons of the church came through, saw him reading the Bible. And he said, um, what are you reading there? And he told him what he was reading about. And he began to show him who the Messiah was, who Jesus was. And how many know this African Ethiopian eunuch just believed? Just what I talked about. Step one, he believed. And he said, what is the next step? And he said, can I be baptized right now? I mean, no, he was immediately baptized. When Peter preached the gospel, um, these were all, for the most part, Jewish people. How many know that? They were Jewish believers. Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 were saved. And guess what all 3,000 of those people did? They were adults who were baptized in water. And so the pattern all the way through the Bible is... That if you have given your life to Christ and you're able to do it, there's what's called a believer's baptism. That means that you get baptized in water, and that is my public confession that I have given my life to Christ. How many appreciate a public confession? You say, well, it's not that necessary. Well, I think it's pretty important when you get married. How many think that's important? To bring all the families in to witness it? And to say, from this day forward, I make an oath that I'm going to be married to this woman. You could have done it privately. How I many you know you could have done it like I did in my bedroom and just sat there and made a commitment, you know, and said, hey, I'm going to be married to you for life. And how I many know it's important to publicly make that announcement? And so the Bible gives us a sure way because, you know, you may get saved at an altar call. The, the pastor may say, hey, come to the front, give your heart to Christ, and you may say that prayer. And sometimes people do it many times and never have been baptized. Um, sometimes you'll have a pastor will say a prayer at the end of the message. How many have ever seen that? And usually it's followed up with, there's a next step. And the next step is what's called the believer's baptism. And this usually always in the Bible, if you theologically study it really well, it's when a person is old enough to understand that they're making a commitment to Christ and they're ready to follow through with the believer's baptism. And so you say, well, what does it symbolize? And I'm, I'm being very simple here again. I'm sure, I'm sure, sure some of you are insulted. Chad, you don't think we know this stuff? Just reminding you, I'm sorry. But what does it symbolize? Paul is very clear that it is symbolic of us following Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So basically, Paul is saying that when we are baptized, we're being baptized into the death of Christ. 
That means that our old life, our old way of living, what is our old way of living? Our old way of living is for me, myself and I. (laughs) I'm a selfish person. I'm living for me. Everything about me is me. When I wake up in the morning, it's me. When I go through the day, it's me. When I get done at night, it's me. And you say, well, I live for a higher cause. I live for my family. Okay, begin the day with your family. Your middle of the day is your family. End of the day is your family. You say, well, I'm devoted to my employer. Beginning of your day is your employer. The middle of the day is your... Now God's saying, okay, let's put that way of thinking aside. Jesus Christ came to this earth, emptied himself of heaven... Because he came on a mission to die for you. He came because of the cross. He wanted to die for you so we could all be in heaven. And now God is asking us, if you want to go to heaven, Jesus said, lose your life, you'll gain it. And if you keep your life, you'll lose it. And Jesus says, follow me. That's what he said. All of his disciples, he said, follow me, follow me. Well, where are you going? Where's he going? Let's follow him in the same attitude of heart. And say, Lord, I give you my life. My life is not my own. It was purchased with a price. I give it to you today in front of all of these people. My life is yours. And so you go down the old man, buried, dead, gone forever. Behold, a new life, a new creation. This one's different. This one's devoted to Christ. This one is... Uh, trying to look like Christ, trying to be like Christ, trying to learn from Christ, trying to uh, be a different person. Hallelujah. How many know that the old man always wants to try to come back alive again? And that's why Paul says, every day I crucify my my flesh. And every day I, I, I in fact, the Bible says to um, live in the flesh is to fulfill the desires of the flesh, but live in the spirit, fulfill the desires of the spirit which is the will of God. Hallelujah. And so now we become a new person. So this baptism symbolizes us rising up in the life of Christ, that God is going to now live through us. We're now different. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? So that's the second step. And so I started really thinking the order here that ought to be an appropriate order. And as you look through the Bible and you begin to study you begin to realize there is a certain order here. In fact, repentance, forgiveness, water baptism, and then there's a fourth thing that's always clustered together with it. And that fourth thing is receiving the Holy Spirit. In fact, here's a quote, repentance, forgiveness, water baptism, and reception of the Holy Spirit comprise the basic pattern of conversion. How many know that? So I'm going to tell you the next step that's very important is the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some scriptures here from Jesus. So one thing that we'll do When we water baptize is we will lay hands on the person and we will pray that the Holy Spirit will fill them. Because how many know when you, um, when you repent and truly give your life to Christ, how many know at that moment, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was the one that made that possible. Do you all know that the Holy Spirit is the one 
that makes it possible. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's like the wind. It comes in and it does all kinds of damage and wreaks all kind of havoc. And has all, how many have ever been outside after a storm? And you're like, man, what invisible sorcery caused all these limbs to be in my yard? Okay, maybe you didn't say it that way. That's how I said it, maybe. But how many have ever went outside and you got like, I mean, you can be bad enough. You can see cars moved around. You know, you can actually see giant limbs down. But how many could actually see the wind? No, some invisible power called the wind actually wreaked havoc. And Jesus says, that's how the Holy Spirit is. It comes in and does all these things, but you don't see the Holy Spirit. And how many gave your life to Christ and immediately sensed something different? Like, man, I don't, I don't want to cuss anymore. I don't want to do the things I did before. I don't want to do that anymore. And, and all of a sudden you feel something called conviction. How many have ever felt that? What a beautiful thing. I love conviction. And the Holy Spirit is just teaching you and guiding you and helping you. And we don't always recognize the Holy Spirit, but we know when we're told about it what it is. And Jesus puts it this way. He said in John 14, 25, he says, These things I've spoken to you while I was still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. So what things will he teach you? All things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Ezekiel 36, a prophecy in the Old Testament says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I remove the heart of stone from your flesh and and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. How many of you know God promises to put the Holy Spirit there? He promises he'll be a helper. When Jesus goes away, he's giving us the Holy Spirit. So step number three is we have this new relationship. How many of you know this is a new relationship we have to cultivate? And so the Holy Spirit uh, is received, but how many have ever received a guest in your home and just ignored them? Or didn't recognize they were there. What if somebody came to your house and you weren't totally aware that they were there? Right? And so you walk around the kitchen and you're like, well, wait a minute. There's things moved around in my kitchen. Things moved around in my bedroom. Oh, well, they left some things in my bathroom that aren't desirable. I mean, no, you can have a guest in your home and not even realize it. I'm trying to make sure everybody's not falling asleep this morning. Oh, you're not falling asleep. Everybody stand up for just one second if you can. Stretch out a little bit. We want to know these steps. All right. Praise the Lord. Good. Calisthenics are part of Sunday mornings. Just do it. Didn't drink enough coffee. I tricked you. I tried to give you coffee. But all right, you can be seated. So the Holy Spirit is received in every believer's life. But how many know that uh, even though in John chapter 20 they received the Holy Spirit, Uh, He said, I still want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait there until you're endued with power from on high. And it says power, and and the word is uh, dunamis, it means like dynamite, like power. And then all through the the book of Acts, we see the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we see uh, prophecies from Isaiah and different places that Jesus is going to give gifts to his church. You know, gifts of wisdom, uh, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discernment of spirits. How many of you know that they walked in the power of the Holy Spirit? And he said, go to Jerusalem and tarry there until you be filled with power from on high. And that's called the day of Pentecost. 
And so after that day, they began to um, have a relationship with the Spirit in an even greater way. In fact, the Bible says all through Old Testament that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But John said, you've been baptized with water, but there's one that comes after me that's greater than me. He'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And how many know baptism means immersion? It means you're actually swimming in the water. You're actually immersed and overflowing. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit, but that's not the same as swimming in it. Hallelujah. And how many know God wants you to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? As you go through the book of Acts, you begin hearing things like, the Spirit sent them here. The Spirit sent them there. By the Spirit, they did this. By the Spirit, they did that. And how many know step number three is a deepening relationship with the Holy Spirit? In fact, that baptism of the Holy Spirit, unless it's present... Um, you won't operate in the gifts of the Spirit, the supernatural gifts of the Spirit that God wants the church to have. It says the Spirit gives severally as He will. It means He hands them out as He sees fit for the benefit of the body. So step number three is we've got to begin that relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's what's been sent to help us uh, with temptation, help us grow, to be taught, to have discernment, wisdom, knowledge. How many know the Holy Spirit is a very important third step? Fourth step. It's so simple, I'm putting people to sleep. If your neighbor's sleeping, I want you to elbow them very gently. All right, very gently. <laughs> Just don't lay my fall out of the seats. I don't want to have to do a Paul and heal somebody that fell out of the seat. And <laughs> Hallelujah. So step number three is the Holy Spirit. Now step number four, I can see no way around this one. Step number four, I'm thinking through the progression of the Bible. And this one is an interesting one. Step number four is finding a church. Oh, you say, well, Chad, we've grown past that. Um, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that say they're the temple of the Holy Spirit which I'm thankful for because I've been looking for the temple of the Holy Spirit and I'm glad they're it. And how many know we've got millions of temples of the Holy Spirit and they're individually enough? But here's the problem, and this is the one nobody ever wants to hear. Scripture says, Do you not know that your bodies, plural, are the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you? Temple there is singular. Uh, There's a really interesting book. It's called Misreading the Scriptures from a Western Point of View. And they have a chapter in there called Individualism versus Collectivism in Reading the Scriptures. The West, uh, believe it or not, is known for being individualistic and very very, um, uh, independent is the word I'm looking for. Who said that? Oh, great. Thank you, Marjorie. You're you're very helpful to me. (laughs) I would have really been grasping. Let me know we're very independent. We're just, as Americans we are, we think we're, we can do everything ourselves. And one of the chapters in that book is individual and collectivism, and it says we have a Burger King culture. Have it my way. And so if a church offends you, you just leave the church, go to another one, maybe they'll do better, but I'm going to have it my way. You know? And... This is the scripture in that chapter that they use, and they said that every single scholar says that is a plural bodies and a singular temple. You say, well, why does that matter? Because what Paul is saying is, do you not know 
that all of these individual members make up the one temple of the Holy Spirit. He says that all of us together make up the body of Christ. That makes sense, right? We're all individual parts that make up the body of Christ. And each one of us, our bodies, plural, are singular temple. See, we read it backwards. We read that we are the uh, temple, singular, and we are the, as a body, we are the temple individually. So there are millions of temples. That's not how it reads. It reads that there are millions of bodies that make up the one temple of the Holy Spirit, which is the body of Christ. So that means that one of those bricks out there, it takes one of those bricks combined with about a thousand bricks to make this brick building. And so God is saying that we are all plural members of the one body of Christ, which is the body of Christ. And so what we've done is, When all of us are together, when the gifts of the Spirit are operating through every individual member, when all of us are doing what we're called to do, we make up the body of Christ. So all around the world, there's one body of Christ, the Holy Spirit fills it, and when we all work together, we are that temple of the Holy Spirit. But because we read it wrong, we all think we're individual, independent, lone ranger bricks that are our own temple. And so because of that, we don't go to church in America. We don't devote ourselves to a church. We don't commit ourselves to a church. And we say, well, God's just going to do everything through this one temple, which is me. And uh, and I hear this all the time. I I hear it to the point it turns my stomach. And so the thing that God's called the body of Christ to do, we can't do because we're all individualized. we got all these individual temples that are doing nothing. When all, all of us together could be filled with the Holy Spirit doing something. And none of us have the gifts to do what God's called us to do. We all have to do it together. And the Holy Spirit has to move in those gifts in a body. And we have to be in unity. And guess what? We have to have leadership. Why did Paul go through such trouble to say, only set aside people that have these qualifications? Don't lay hands on them suddenly. Don't lay hands on them quickly. And Paul goes through great lengths to make sure we understand how to have unity within the body And he also says, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. And church, can I tell you something? Step number four is critical. Because the following steps, if we don't have this one right, if we don't have somebody there to encourage us, we don't have somebody there to correct us, if we don't have somebody there to rebuke us, if we don't have somebody there to teach us, if we don't have somebody there to help us do ministry... Right, And I'm going to read a scripture in a minute that says that that's why Jesus gave us apostles, pastors, teachers, all of the fivefold ministry because he wants us to do the work of the ministry. And so if we don't have a church, we don't do any of that. We don't learn the word. We have no accountability. We have no ability um, to really take the steps that we need to be a new person, to live that new life. Hallelujah. Amen. I didn't lose anybody, did I? Don't be mad at me. Hallelujah. Um, number five, the word of God. How many know in, in order to be renewed and be a new person every day, we have to have the word of God. The word of God has to renew our mind. And I'm amazed sometimes, Eddie, I'm amazed. We come into men's group and I'm amazed how bad I've been that week. How many are that way? Like, oh man, I'm the only one. I feel terrible. Man, I feel so lonely up here. 
But we'll do a study on love, and it'll be like love is patient, love is kind, love is... And see, you guys aren't like me, but when I hear it, I'm like, man, I could have done better. You guys are like, man, I nailed it. You guys hear it and like, I nailed it. (laughs) But how many know we, the word of God is like a sword, a sharp two-edged sword that just slashes everything that shouldn't be there. It's like a meat cutter, a good meat cutter. Slash, 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 slash. All that meat's cut, looks perfect. Put it in the container. Why are all my analogies food? I don't know. I'm sorry. But how many know the Word of God is like surgical? And it's always making us new and always making us fresh and always making us more like Him. Always drawing us closer to Jesus Christ. It's always pulling us into heaven. It's pulling us. And so if we want to be a new life and be transformed and metamorphosized every day, the Word of God has to be living in our life. And again, without a church, it's very hard to have accountability. You say, well, man, I want a life where I only get encouragement. Nobody ever rebukes me and nobody ever talks to me like you do when you preach. (laughs) How many know we need that? Sometimes we come in, we get our toes stepped on. I do it all the time. I go into, you know, Bible study on Wednesday night. I go into men's breakfast and and sometimes it's reproof, sometimes it's rebuke, sometimes it's encouragement, sometimes it's, it's always different, but how many know it's, we have to have the Word of God in our life to be new, to be renewed. Hallelujah. The next step. <clears throat> so that was step five. Number six is learning how to pray. And you say, well, that one's easy. I've been praying since I was a baby. God is good. God is great. Thank you for this food. I probably didn't get that wrong. I don't know. <laughs> How many know there's more types of prayers and kinds of prayers than just bless the food? In fact, I would even argue that we're not supposed to be blessing the food. We're supposed to be blessing God as the way it was intended to be. Thank God always for what's on your table because he provided it. But we spend all our time saying, God, I hope it's delicious. I hope it's good and nutritious and wonderful, which is good. But how many know it's meant to be thankful to God that he provided for me today? Hallelujah. And then prayer, we have to grow in prayer if we want to be renewed. Like when everything breaks loose and I'm as mad as a hornet. I'm, again, I'm the only one probably. How many have ever been like that? Days when me and Stacy, Stacy, we're me and you. This is for me and you. I'll just preach to her. How many know you're mad as a hornet someday? Things are going wrong. And five years ago, I wouldn't have prayed. But God is teaching me how to pray through bad stuff. You say, well, Chad, I'm really good when I get a nice Christmas present. I'm the most thankful guy you've ever seen. How many know God has to deepen that and renew you and make you a new creature every year? And so prayer, there's prayers of thankfulness. That means that I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my kids, no matter what happens, no matter how they treat me, I'm thankful that you gave me them. My wife, my husband, I'm thankful no matter how how much I could complain right now, I'm not. I'm going to be a thankful person. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to speak words of life into each of those people's lives. Lord, I'm thankful for the people at work. That's just one type of prayer, thankfulness. How many know praise is another kind of, of, of prayers? Worship is another kind of prayers. 
You know, adoration of God is another kind of prayer. There's just so many depths to prayer. Uh, praying in the Holy Spirit. How many know that's another totally distinct kind of prayer? When you don't know what to pray, Paul says, pray in the Spirit and the Spirit will make intercession for you. How many know that's a deeper kind of prayer? When I mean, I don't know about you guys. How many have ever been in prayer long enough where you didn't know what to say anymore? And the Spirit makes intercession for you, it says. With groanings which cannot be uttered. <laughs> so church, we've got to be renewed every day and grow deeper in our prayer life. Hallelujah. Amen. That's the next step. And you say, well, man, I thought I'd maybe hit all seven of them and I'm not a new convert anymore. No, this is all lifetime, you know, of learning. Number seven, serving. God wants to win us. He wants to build us through the word and through prayer. And then he wants us to be serving other people and be back at the beginning of that circle there. Like we all have to find a place to serve. We all have been given gifts. And you say, well, no, that's why we pay you, Pastor Chen. That's why we have a staff. You're the minister. Well, let's see who's the minister. It says in Ephesians, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So who is it given? Each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gave gifts to men. That means the whole body. That's a general term for everybody. Gave gifts to everybody. So it came down from on high and gave gifts to everybody. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. Now listen to this, and he himself, so who? He himself, the one who ascended into heaven, Jesus Christ, the one who's giving gifts to all of us, It says, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Why did he do that? Why did he give those gifts to the church? For the equipping of the saints, that's you, for the work of the ministry. So who's the minister here? I'm changing the tables on you here. I'm here to train you to do works of ministry. If I get to the end of my pastoral ministry and I'm doing all the ministry myself and you're watching me and I've got a crowd here to watch me, I've not done my job as a pastor. My job as a pastor is to raise you all up to be doing the work of the ministry. It says, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah. So the last one is serving. And church, um, seven simple steps to the new life. And I always say when it comes to serving, where's my worship team? There you are. I always say when it comes to serving, 
There's two kinds of jobs that you always do. There's the one where you find things that have to be done. How many have ever done that in a church? I wish there were a lot more hands. How many know there's a lot of things that have to be done in a church? You say, well, man, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'll just stay home. (laughs) We can't fulfill these. There's a lot of jobs in the church that have to be done. And you say, well, I'm not called to that. I'm not either. But how many know they have to be done? And then there's the other thing that you wake up in the morning and you know that you were put on this earth to do that. And every one of us have those. We have certain things in the body that we wake up in the morning and God will begin to show you what your gifts are. But we've got certain things That I can't wait to get up in the morning because I know that God has put me in the church for this purpose. It might be greeting people. It might be cooking for people. It might be cleaning the church. It might be um, evangelizing people. It might be discipling people. Uh, There are certain things that you literally, it's a pleasure to do because you just feel the energy. How many have ever felt something like that? Man, when I do this, I feel the energy of God behind it. I know God called me to do this. I know what I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, But then there's the other one. Like I said, it just has to be done, so we do it. And we faithfully serve God, we're obedient to God, and we just do. So I would really encourage you, encourage you today, church. Um, I would have never found a place in the body of Christ if it weren't for the things that I wasn't called to do. I'm just telling you. I would have never found a place, let me repeat that, I would have never found a place in the church if I first didn't find the things that had to be done. Um, I was constantly at the church doing all those things. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I accidentally figured out what my call was. I'm just being honest. I was at the church so much doing what had to be done that I kind of figured out what I loved doing. And so church, I would encourage you, we are a body, we're a group of people that make up the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so that seventh one is so important. We've all got to be about the business of knowing what the vision of this church is and serving God in some capacity in the church and finding things that either need to be done or I'm called by God to do both of those things um, we need to be pouring our heart into. Okay, and I'm just going to close this morning. And I just want to ask you this morning. As I go down this list of seven things, maybe you haven't taken the first step, which is just repenting and believing. Maybe you haven't taken the step of a public proclamation that I'm living for Christ, and that's the water baptism. Maybe you haven't um, even really, in fact, in Ephesus, they were serving the Lord. They had been water baptized. It said they... You know, were baptized after John's preaching, and then they said, Have you received the Holy Spirit yet? You know what their answer was? We don't even know that there be a Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, no, they were saved. They had repented. They were serving the Lord, but they said, We don't even know that there be a Holy Spirit. And so maybe that third step is where God is leading you that, Hey, I want to know the Holy Spirit better in my life. 
I want him to truly be my friend and my comforter and my helper and, you know, somebody that speaks to me and I can understand when the Spirit speaks. And maybe it's number four. Maybe I'm not committed to the church. And can I tell you something? Every church I've ever been to, I immediately found things to do. You say, well, sure, they put you immediately as a leader. No, almost every church I went to, almost every part of the church I did something. In fact, there's no part of the church that I haven't done that job. And that's where I start. And I became a member of every church that I ever became a part of. Why? Because I want accountability. I want, if I go to another church, I want to be able to tell them, hey, this is the reason I'm going to the next place. Uh, I'll be a member of the next church. And there's not been very many of those. Only, only a couple times I've ever done that in my 30 years. But I want to be a member. I want to be accountable. I want to be part of the pastor's vision or the leader's vision. And then I want, whenever things change, I want to be able to inform that church that I'm under somebody else's umbrella. I always want to be accountable to somebody. You say, well, membership don't save you. No, but it definitely makes you a committed member to the vision of that church. You say, well, when could I have a chance to do that? We'll be doing that over the course of January here, if anybody would like to become a member. But I think you should be a part of what the church's vision is and um, giving time, talent, money, you know, any of those things are part of the biblical pattern. The next thing, the Word of God. You know, where are we at there? Are we, uh, have we built that into our life as a step? You know, the Word of God is something that I'm deepening my understanding of it. Prayer. You know, and I'm just going to close there. I'm just going to let you be led by the Holy Spirit in all these areas. What areas um, is the Holy Spirit telling you? Man, this is an area I need to think about. Um, obviously, we have a water baptism next week. It'll be at the end of the service. We'll baptize several people. And how many know that is a very important thing? And so there is a sign-up sheet. If you're sincere about it, and I as a pastor have to make sure that you're sincere. I've got to ask some questions and say, is this something that you are sincerely repentant in your life and you really want to give your life to Christ? I mean, no, that's important. But just be led by the Holy Spirit. As we close here, you say, I I need to give my life to Christ. Some people say, well, Chad, you better make them or force them or compel them to come up. No, that's what the Holy Spirit does. If you need prayer, you need to find me after church. You find a place at this altar. Ask myself and we'll find somebody to pray with you. But if you've not given your life to Christ, um, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's only through repentance and believing. Hallelujah. So take a few moments. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart this morning. Altars are open. Prayer people are ready. Hallelujah. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And I just want to encourage everybody here... um, I exist here as a pastor, you know, Christ, the Bible said, sent me as one of the fivefold ministry uh, to help you through the steps into the new life. So my highest purpose is to lead you through step number one, to repent and trust in Jesus Christ 
as the Lord of your life. So you say, well, Chad, when can I do that? You can do it immediately. Find me. I'll pray with you. Anytime. You need to count the cost. You know, I've seen places where they were so emotionally charged and they begged them to go to the altar. I mean, begged them. How many have ever been in a place like that? And I think mostly the motive is good. They want people saved. Sometimes it's not. They want as many people at the altar as they can for the ego of the pastor. But the Bible says count the cost. And there is a cost of people committing their life to Christ and not counting the cost and following through with it. And so I'll just tell you, if you have a desire to be with the Lord in heaven, to make heaven your home, and you want to repent of your sins and give your life to Christ, you've got to find me. I want to pray with you and lead you to Christ. It would be the greatest honor of my life. If you've never been baptized, find me, and I want you to be a part of our baptism service. We uh, can do it however you like. We'll set it up for you. You can invite whoever you like. But every one of these seven steps, um, we, we're we here to make sure that you take that next step. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you bless your people, Lord. Bless every person that's here. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would work in hearts. Lord, that they'd be very sensitive in their lives to your moving, Lord God, what you want in their life, Holy Spirit. We know that you're there to draw all men and women to Christ. And right now, I just pray that you draw. Do your work, Lord God. Whatever that next step is, Lord, in this new year, I pray that you're there with them to help them take it. Lead them, guide them in all truth, just like your word says. And I pray that you bless them as they go. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Get those lights back there.